0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new conversation about software engineering. Today on the CASE podcast, I will be talking with Rachel Andrew. Rachel Andrew is the editor-in-chief of Smashing Magazine, an active member of the CSS Working Group and co-founder of Perch CMS and Noticed. She has given many talks and written many articles and books, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to talk with her today. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me here. Um, so, to begin with, uh, you've done loads of things. Um, I'd be really interested in knowing kind of your journey, how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah. So, it, it's been quite a long journey. I mean, I, I've been involved with the web for over 20 years at this point. Um, so, it kind of goes back, back a long way. It wasn't ever something I was intending to do, uh, partly because this didn't exist when I was at school. So, it, I, I couldn't have had this this in mind anyway. Uh, but I actually intended mm-hmm. to go into the theatre, and oh. so I, I trained as a dancer, and and then I went backstage. So I worked backstage in London's West End uh, for for a couple of years as a mm-hmm. sort of theatre carpenter, and and so on. Um, and then I got pregnant with my daughter, and. Uh, it, it, having a baby doesn't really work when you have the unsociable hours of, of the theater. <laughs> so, okay. so I was, I, I kind of ended up with a computer because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I am old enough to have learned to touch type at school, mm-hmm. which is what they did with girls when I went to school, was you, you learned to type. And, uh, really. yeah, <laughs> and, and so, so I, I thought, well, I could take in typing for people. That's the thing I'm quite good at. And So I I was going to get a word processor, I ended up with a computer. And because of that, I sort of started poking around with, with the internet and with the web and sort of finding community there. Mm-hmm. because I didn't I, you know I was a young mum I didn't really know any other mothers I didn't have all my friends were blokes who worked in the theater you know I didn't <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was kind of you know my, my driving force and at the time if you wanted to put things online you had to build a website because there was no mm-hmm. Facebook or Flickr or kind of all these places to put things that, that we have now so I learned HTML and there wasn't even CSS at the time there was just HTML I learned HTML in order to be able to share the stuff I, I was, you know, things about my daughter and, and things with my new friends online. Um, so that's really where this started. And and back then, if you learned a bit about HTML, you suddenly became a person who knew about websites. And that was kind of like a, an important thing because websites were new and people were trying to build them for their businesses. And so I just sort of fell into building other people's websites. Mm-hmm. Um, and I j- just this sort of a strange set of, Of coincidence, like I think, because I'm I'm very structured in my thinking, and I like the idea of of sort of standards and you know being able to read a spec and Mm -hmm. then you know write HTML that would uh, you know comply with that spec and it would work. I like that idea, and so I sort of when the Web Standards Project were kind of starting to campaign for standard support in browsers and for developers to comply with standards, that just really spoke to me. And so that was really my beginning of my sort of involvement with the web platform and with with sort of being involved with web standards was just it seeming completely logical that mm-hmm. you know we should have these standards and and browsers should care about them and web developers should care about them too. And so that was really where it all started, was was just me writing about the things I was learning essentially um, as I went along. And really that in terms of my my career as someone who works on the web platform, that's really all I ever do. I learn something interesting. I kind of think, oh, that might be handy for somebody else and I write it up. And (laughs) I'm still doing that today, you know, 20 years on, I'm still doing that. I'm still learning something, Mm -hmm. finding out about something and writing that up for other people to help them understand it too.
0: Yeah. Well, I do love your newsletter. You send out a newsletter i think mm-hmm. every tuesday evening
1: yes i send it every tuesday yeah
0: yeah and i i always find the the articles you post they're always very interesting uh different topics uh like kind of going into depth on this this little thing uh that is new um and that we might not have seen before um we'll definitely link to the your newsletter in in the show notes um yeah but i i find it interesting when you're talking about oh yeah we got it started on the web um and I fell into eating HTML, and then fast forward, you're you're here now, <laughs> and uh, you're doing you're still doing um, you're doing loads of things
1: now. I mean, you've founded two companies. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? I've got Our two. Co-founding. Yes, I've got I've got two products, um, which I, I founded those with, with my husband, Drew McClellan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Perch, which is a CMS, and that's ten years old now. We've been doing that for a very long time. Um, Mm -hmm. and also Noticed which is newer and that is uh, an application for public speakers so basically a place to build your online portfolio and that really came about because I'm a a public speaker I do a lot of speaking and I kind of wanted something that was like Noticed I wanted a way to sort of build up you know that collection of of not just the talks but also all the other things that go along with them The, the tweets that people make and the resources and the code you know so so notice that you kind of collect all that stuff together basically and create a bit of a portfolio for yourself as a speaker but also a good resource for anyone um who went to your talk or even who didn't you know who just was following along online and thought oh i'd like to see what this was like then go and see the slides and maybe a video and, and everything else um so yeah so that's that's the sort of two products that that we have um and, and they really came out of us uh, working as a, as a consultancy, you know, building websites for other people. Oh, okay. So that, I mean, that's something that I, when I when I sort of went freelance originally um, in 2001, I've been working for myself since 2001, um, you know, I, I was just building websites for people. In fact, I was doing a lot of just troubleshooting for people uh, mm-hmm. because at the time, this was just after the sort of first dot-com crash and um, a, a lot of companies had actually got rid of their web developers. But they still had stuff that needed fixing. Um, (laughs) And and I've always, I I like solving problems and I've always been quite good at sort of picking apart stuff that's going wrong and and fixing it up. And so I really, for the first about three years I was a web developer, that's as a freelancer, that's really what I was doing. I was Mm -hmm. just working on other people's stuff. Um, you probably learn a lot that way. Yes, you do learn a lot that way. I think I think <laughs> of, of, of picking, um a mess is <laughs> when when you can see yeah. when the previous developer coded themselves into a corner and ran away screaming. That's that's kind mm-hmm. of fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> and you know never go back there again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that I did a lot of I did a lot of that. So, I mean, working in Perl and classic ASP with VBScript, and then ultimately PHP. Um, mm-hmm. That they're the sort of the so so really I I was mainly a back end developer. And the front end stuff uh, has always just been interesting to me, and I think it, it's it's quite it's quite interesting that I'm I'm known as a front end person, um, mm-hmm. but sort of my my interest. In, and at one point, I was sort of really thinking of going into systems administration because I'm very interested in that and always have been, and I'm a sort of reasonable sysadmin um, if I need to be. Um, and so I think there was lots of places in the stack that I could have ended up. Uh, and it, it just sort of happened that, that this is this is the path I, I sort of ended up on, ultimately.
0: Yeah, well, I do find that interesting because I'm also a full stack developer, but I, I find CSS, for instance, really interesting. And so I play around mm. with it and I have fun with it. And then as soon as I can do CSS, everyone's like, OK, she's a front end developer. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, well, I mean, the fact that I can do CSS doesn't negate the fact that I can also do other things, but. Yeah
1: okay. <laughs> yeah it, it's it's fun. It, there's a funny thing there that you, you people do want to pigeonhole you and, and and I've always been well this is just all about solving problems and you solve the problems with the right part of the stack and mm-hmm. I think if you don't have a bit of a holistic overview and aren't open to that you're quite likely to try and solve problems in the wrong place. You know you're going to try mm-hmm. and solve yeah. problems on the front end that should be solved you know with server side code or that actually should be solved you know, somewhere in your systems, you know, maybe you need to be looking at something that you're doing with Apache or Nginx to actually solve this problem properly. Um, And so having that holistic view has always been very useful to me because I don't just think, oh, it's got to be this thing I already know about to solve this. I might think, oh, actually, is there anything else out there (laughs) that might fix this problem? Um, You know, I mean, a good example of that is when I moved all of our servers over to using Puppet for configuration management. And I was trying to fix problems, you know, of of servers getting sort of out of sync with each other, and certain things not being updated, and so on. I was trying to fix that with a bunch of messy Perl scripts, and then I was like, "Hang on, somebody else has probably solved this problem." (laughs) Um, And then I discovered configuration management and started learning about that. And I think that it's that openness to there being, you know, this huge spread of stuff, and that probably is is one of the biggest things in my career. Is is that I am very happy just to jump around across the stack and figure out. And if I don't know about it, I'll find somebody else who does and, and get them involved and say, you know, I think this is probably the way to go with this. Um, so I, you know, I think that that's quite quite key in the way I see things.
0: Mm, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're one of the active members of the um, of the CSS mm-hmm. working group. Uh, were you like
1: part of the css working group from the beginning no it's actually fairly recent so i mean the the way that this stuff works um is is that the the w3c p- companies essentially are members of the w3c so you have companies like uh microsoft or you know other other browser companies um google and and mozilla um and, and really anyone who's got an interest in um, web technologies there's a whole bunch of different people there's people who work in publishing there's people that's like you know automotive people from car, car manufacturing because lots of different companies actually have an interest in web technologies um, so once your company is a member of the W3C you can then opt um, individuals who work in your company onto these different working groups so the majority of people on the CSS working group are representatives of a company who is a member of the W3C so there's lots of people from Google and Mozilla, obviously mm-hmm. um, but there's also other people from from other companies too um you then have a bunch of what you call inviced experts now these are people who aren't actually members of the w3c but know some stuff about css don't they useful to, to be involved and that was really originally how i was involved i was asked to be an advised expert so then i could go along to meetings and and sort of participate i'm actually now um on the CSS working group as a member, because I'm the representative for a Dutch organization of web developers called Frontiers. They joined um, the W3C basically to represent web developers. And they asked me to be their representative because I already kind of know how all this stuff works. And so, so they're sort of, they, they give me a stipend as well to sort of fund some of my work on mm-hmm. the platform, which is great because as an advised expert, you basically just have an expensive hobby. Um, so it's quite nice to <laughs> it's quite nice to, to have some funding for the travel and so on that's involved. Um but yeah, so that so I've only really been a member, sort of part of the group officially for I think it's probably about three years now. Um Okay. But really I've I've kind of been on the edges of that and making comments, posting to mailing lists, um, writing about the things the working group have been doing uh, for much, much longer. Um and you don't have to be a member of the CSS working group to contribute. Um, we we do all of our stuff in the open. Everything's on GitHub um, as GitHub issues. Mm-hmm. And there's lots and lots of other people who contribute to the discussions um, who aren't officially members. And, and that is very, very much welcomed and encouraged.
0: Mm-hmm. I, can Im- I can imagine like w- when you're talking about the actual implementation, people who are only developers don't really know everything that goes into... Developing features yeah. for CSS. Yeah,
1: I, I think um, it, it's very like developing features for any product. It's just that the web has, <laughs> um, you know, we have this whole issue that we can't actually break the past, we can't break the web of the past. Mm-hmm. And so there's yeah. a lot of things that go into adding a new feature to the platform um, that really speak to that that compatibility of, of the browsers of the past and so on. Um, Mm-hmm. so it it but it is really much like adding any feature to it to a product you know there's a lot of discussion that has to go on you know engineers have to say well oh i don't think we can actually do that in our in our engine is there something else we you know can we achieve this in a different way and um, we're wanting to solve lots of use cases with a feature we don't want to have something that's very very specific to one use case uh i mean just like you know in any product um and and so as a product person and someone who's built products i think you know there are a lot of things that are quite common in working on platform features and and i've got better at understanding how browser engines work over the years but i'm certainly not an expert and that but that's the thing with saying at like the cs working group there's lots of us from different points of view so i might say hey web developers would really like this to work like this and a browser engineer might say yeah that's fine but this isn't going to perform well for example um, you know mm-hmm. for this reason and so there's, this, there's all this discussion back and forth to come up with the best solutions that will work in browsers, can be implemented, and will solve real problems for developers.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into like the, the basics of CSS. Uh, we actually had the first case podcast episodes with Jen Simmons, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of goes into the uh, basics of CSS. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, But I'm curious to hear your perspective on how CSS has changed over the years. Um...
1: Yeah, um, I think one of the things that I've been talking quite a lot about, particularly around layout, is the fact that we've got really for the first time with Grid and Flexbox and and sort of related specifications, we've got this sort of actual Mm -hmm. system for layout for the web, which we haven't had. You know, CSS didn't have any kind of layout system. Uh, until they came along. We had things like floats and so on, which could be hacked around mm-hmm. to make them kind of behave like they looked like a grid. But really, we we were using a sort of a quirk of the way that behaves. Um, so, we've got this new layout system. But also, I think what has happened over the last couple of years, really, is a kind of refactoring of a lot of the specifications to really clarify this as a system and to mm-hmm. make it a lot clearer how things work and that's in terms of the way we talk about things in the specs um you know the, the way that that different features are introduced and i think it's it's really great for you know anyone coming along now as a developer is going to be handed something which is an awful lot clearer and less full of weird tricks than, than css was you know maybe five years ago um and i think that's that's really good it feels like it's kind of grown up as a platform and um and that we can add new things in a way that's very consistent rather than each of these specs being completely different to each other, mm. behaving in weird mm-hmm. ways. Has there been a change in attitude towards CSS? I, th- I think maybe in some parts. I think I think a lot of the attitudes towards CSS is still quite outdated. You know, A lot of the attitudes to CSS are remembering the CSS of 10 years ago and mm-hmm. are remembering the browser support of 10 years ago. You know, because browser support is so much better these days. Um, You know, we don't have enormous show-stopping bugs all the time. You know, we have browsers that haven't yet implemented something, but lack of support is very different to buggy support. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to deal with, oh, this thing does not work in this browser. Um, that, that's easier than, well, this thing does kind of work, but it works in a different way to every other browser. <laughs> that's um, that's horrible to deal with. And so we don't have so much of that sort of behavior. Um, and But, you know, when, when, I, when you see stuff on Twitter and you talk to people, you realize that actually the, the CSS they're talking about and the browser compatibility they're talking about is 10 years out of date. And um, and so that's something I've been quite keen on is just sharing how things have changed and how mm-hmm. support has got better uh, to ho- hopefully that new people don't come along and, and, and get told that, oh, CSS is this weird buggy thing that does random stuff all the time, um, you know, because that really isn't the case anymore. Do you think it's easier to learn CSS now than it was 10 years ago? Absolutely. And I think that anyone coming along now has a much better sort of experience their sort of first run experience of learning CSS is a lot more straightforward um, and when I teach because I teach workshops and usually in a workshop I'll have a mixture of people who've been doing CSS for years and think they kind of know it and brand new people and I will find that the brand new people understand things like grid and flexbox and how it all ties together far more quickly than the people who've been building websites with floats and so on forever and and hacking around all the bugs and mm-hmm. I think that's because we've now got this nice clear system, but those of us who've been doing this for a long time are kind of just just waiting for CSS to come and bite us. You know, we're waiting for it to go wrong, um, and and we've got all these kind of assumptions about how things work, which we have to relearn. Um, so it's it's quite interesting seeing how quickly new people can pick this stuff up.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'd like to try. Um, I'd like to attempt to uh, talk a little bit about the the newer things that have been happening in CSS layout. Um, it, it is I know a bit difficult, maybe because it's an audio medium um, and and its layout is a very visual topic. Uh, but maybe you could try, attempt to uh, tell us about some of the newer features with the CSS layout.
1: Yeah. Um- I mean, so some of the stuff that I'm excited about, I mean, obviously we got, we got grid layout in browsers in 2017, um, mm. and that was kind of level one of the spec, as it were. Uh, we've now got a, a sort of a new feature um, called subgrid, which basically lets us inherit um, the the grid sort of sizing, the track sizing down through indirect children. Because um, the thing about any change to the display property in CSS, if you say display grid or display flex, that only affects the direct children of that element. Um, so if you have things nested further down inside the grid, they're not going to be able to be laid out on the same grid. And subgrid basically gives us a way to do that. So that's pretty exciting. I think it it makes um, I think people coming to think, oh, this is this is my grid on my page. They would like to be able to lay out not just the direct child elements, but other things. Um, so I think it helps with that. Um, that's new. That's only implemented at the moment in Firefox, uh, but hopefully we'll see that coming up in in other browsers too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, other sort of interesting stuff, I think, just in terms of new layout, um, both Grid and Flexbox, um, sort of when they came along, they sort of snuck into our vocabulary, this writing mode agnostic way of looking at layout. So um in the past we always laid everything out sort of from you know top right bottom left mm-hmm. the sort of physical dimensions of the screen but of course you know there there's good chunks of the world who actually have different writing modes you know who have vertical writing modes and so on um and so newer css is kind of writing mode agnostic so we talk about the block and the inline dimension mm-hmm. you know as in the direct the block direction the direction that paragraphs go in your writing mode and inline is the direction that sentences run in your writing mode and so we have sort of the start and end of those dimensions. Now, Grid and um, Flexbox never really talk about top, right, bottom, left. They talk about yeah. start and end and, and block and inline, um, which then gets a bit weird because we everything else in CSS, you know, your margins, your paddings, mm-hmm. your borders, all those things, um, they talk about top, right, bottom, left. Um, so as well as the writing mode spec, which deals with, writing modes whether you're in a horizontal or vertical writing mode we've got logical properties and values which maps um, sort of logical flow relative uh, properties onto the old properties which deal with physical um, directions um so you know you, you're gonna have you have your sort of margin block start and so on um, rather than um, margin top so there's this sort of set of mappings there and I think that ultimately we'll write CSS according to those logical flow relative properties most of the time um, because it just makes more sense and it saves this weird sort of inconsistency uh, between how layout is working and how everything else works.
0: Is that already supported in all major browsers?
1: It is, yeah. The, well, most of the logical properties are supported everywhere now. Um, there are you know, some newer things that haven't quite got support, but things like your margin padding,
0: mm-hmm. border
1: properties, um, those all have support. Um, and so that's quite interesting. It means that you know you can create say a grid layout and then tip it on its side by setting the the writing mode to a vertical writing mode and everything just works in the same way it it literally just just tip over because rather than having um a width you know you'd have an inline size which if you're then in a vertical writing mode inline size um runs top to bottom rather than than left to right so so I think that that's that's quite a big change um and, and and I think you sort of see a lot more of that um, and new things that come into CSS will all sort of take on this sort of writing mode agnostic way of being. So if um, we were to start learning
0: that. CSS today, we should probably start
1: with those logical properties as opposed to I think, physical. Yeah, I think understanding that they exist. I mean, obviously for backwards compatibility, you're going to need to use physical mm-hmm. stuff. But I think more importantly is understanding what those things are, you know, understanding what block and inline is and understanding what, you know, how, how that maps to, to layout and so on, because I think it makes it less confusing. Because when people started using Flexbox, for example, they were often very confused as to, well, why can't we just say left or mm-hmm. right, you know? <laughs> and so, so I think that's, it's quite a good way to teach people is to introduce this stuff early um, so they can sort of understand why we're using this terminology that we're using.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I know there's an, there's the also the multi-column mm-hmm. layout spec. Um, could you talk a little yeah, bit about sure. that?
1: So um, I don't really know what the status is. Right. Okay. So multi-column is actually quite an old spec. It was one of the a sort of original kind of CSS three modules, as it were. When when CSS moved from two to three, it's just been around for a long time. People don't particularly use it on the web because it has been reasonably buggy, um, and mm-hmm. there hasn't been support for some of the features in Firefox. Um, it's also not particularly useful in a lot of ways on the web because what Multicore does is it arranges your content into columns a bit like in a newspaper. Um, now, that's not a great reading experience on the web if there's any chance that those columns could get taller than your viewport because then you'd have to scroll up and down to read, which that's not what we do on the web. Um, it's used extensively in print. Um, and and something that I think a lot of people aren't really aware of is that a huge amount of books and magazines and so on are actually published using CSS. Um, so there are user agents that um, basically output um, HTML and CSS to PDF so it can be printed. Um, so multicol is used a lot there and is 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 really useful. And and, and I'm one of the co-editors on the specification, so a lot of the feedback I get on multicol is actually from the print world rather than the web world. Um, we've got some ideas as how to make Multicall more useful to web developers. Um, but there are, there are some useful sort of little use cases for it. Um, multicall is good for things like, if you've got like a set of checkboxes that are all laid out in one line, and you just kind of want to collapse them down into into columns, that's the sort of thing Multicall is quite useful for. Um, you can use it for small bits of UI. Um, but yeah, it's 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 existed for a long time, but every time I write about it, someone will say, oh, I didn't even know this existed. Um, <laughs> and and uh, Firefox have recently implemented a bunch of the stuff that was causing problems um, and, and they've implemented the column span property span elements across columns. Um, and we're kind of getting the spec to a point. The spec was kind of abandoned at one point and no one really did any edits on it. So I've been trying to fix the spec up and get the spec to a point where it's nice and stable so that we can move on and add new features that will make it more useful to web developers.
0: Is there any chance we'll ever get container queries? Any queries? <laughs> Everyone always asks.
1: <laughs> uh, we, we, all know this is, we all know this is important. There are some difficult things to solve around um, container queries. I think that some of the things that people ask for are actually solved. Just because of the way that sort of new layout works, we're mm-hmm. far less tied to needing to use media queries than we were yeah. um maybe,
0: maybe to take one step back um you could explain what container queries are just briefly for anyone who right know yes
1: what they are. yeah yes the sort of container queries and element queries are uh, this idea of if you at the moment if you use media queries you're basically tied to the viewport, so mm-hmm. um the viewport changes and you can say, oh well if my viewport is less than this size or more than this size, I'm going to make these changes um, to my CSS. Um, That doesn't work so well if you're dealing with an individual component. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of us work with components these days. And what you actually want is, well, if this component's a certain size, what happens? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. um, And yeah, I mean, it's absolutely the, the number one request from people whenever you say, What do you want um, on the web platform? Um, And I think, yes, particularly when you're working in like a component library um, and you don't know where those things are going to sit, um, (laughs) then it would be very useful. And there are a lot of people discussing this um, all of the time. And um, there are various ways to get around it to some degree, um, all of which are not perfect. and so i I kind of think that at some point it'll it will be sorted. Mm-hmm. I think you know if if we had looked back, you know, ten years, it's something like grid wouldn't have been possible. There's so much stuff that's in CSS now that is possible, that wasn't. Um, but I think it's just a hard problem. And yes, we could spec it, but then also the browser vendors need to be happy to implement it. And so mm-hmm. I think it does need to be this thing that that kind of comes through a bit like Grid was, you know, that we decide that, yes, this absolutely needs to happen. And a lot of people need to get together and be very committed to bringing it to life, both from a spec point of view, but also in the browser engines, because it's no use to us if it only ends up in one browser. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I think it's a difficult thing. Everyone involved with CSS knows it's what web developers want Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and keep answering this question, but, I think it's the, it, it just touches on quite a lot of hard problems.
0: Is there anything like what developers could do to help if there's some kind of functionality that we want, um, but we don't know how to implement it? Is there any way we could help out or provide input or say, I'm really interested in this, uh, please,
1: please do it? I think generally, and it it's really tough with big issues like container queries, because gen- generally, you know, I say to people... Um, You know, if you want something on the web platform, please write about it, come and post to the CSS Working Group and raise it as an issue on our GitHub. Um, Because when it's fairly small things, um, you know, it's kind of really, we we would like people to be bringing that to our attention and say, hey, I've got this use case that isn't met in CSS. Um, How could we do that? And um, there's lots and lots of things that go into the web platform which have come from requests from web developers. I think the problem with a big standout feature like container queries is that it is being used as an example of the CSS working group not taking the input of web developers seriously. And actually the reality is it's just a really hard problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and But whereas there's lots of smaller problems which we solve all the time um, that come through from the web community. Um, and what I would say is that this stuff is quite a long game. Um, very occasionally, someone will suggest something which gets into a spec super quickly. And that's usually because someone is working on that spec right now, um, you know, and you just hit lucky. You know, you, you raise your thing at the exact time that that spec is, is being worked on and it gets written in. More often, you will raise an issue. And it doesn't matter whether you're a CSS working group member or a member, you know, or, or just another web developer. You know, more often people will raise an issue and it will sit there for a year and you'll think nobody's taking any notice of that. And then suddenly it'll get picked up and discussed and, and potentially implemented. Um, and that's just the nature of standards development. Um, there are very few people writing specs. There are very few browser engineers, um, you know, actually, say, doing layout. Um, mm-hmm. And so stuff just gets prioritized. Um, what I would say is if something ends up as an issue on, on the working group, it will get discussed. We don't just close issues out of hand mm-hmm. Um, they'll wait around, they will get discussed. But it, it is a long game. If if you suggest things to the CSS Working Group, you're not going to have it for your project probably this year, maybe not next year, you know, <laughs> by the time these things have been discussed, got into a spec and then got into browsers. Um, so if you're contributing, you're kind of doing so for your future self um, and for the good of the web. And I think, you know, understanding that, understanding that you, you're you participating in something which you know has quite a lot of gravity and weight and therefore takes a while to happen um, it is sort of worth knowing um, well you mentioned components
0: before um, one thing I find interesting is this idea of how do we structure mm-hmm. CSS uh, for mm-hmm. maintainability purposes um, and I don't I don't know if you could share your favorite methods for organizing uh, CSS
1: <laughs> um, I so for me, if I am building a website, um, I like to work in a sort of component library. Um, I tend to use Fractal, but there's a lot of these things. these like that Pattern Lab and so on. Um, and so working essentially in components, but but ultimately compiling that stuff out into a single style sheet. Um, so it lets me kind of work in a way that's quite nice, you know, having things scoped to a component. Um, but then I'm going to just end up ultimately with just some CSS. Um, I'm not doing CSS and JS or anything like that. I'm just writing CSS. I've just found a way to, to write it in a, in a way that lets me deal with one component at a time, rather than the entire style sheet. Um, I'm less interested in the different sort of approaches, things like BEM and so on. Um, for myself, if I'm just doing a site, I probably don't really use any of those things. I just write some CSS. Um, I'm sure there are lots of things you could pick out in my stuff to say, oh yes, you know, you always use this naming or or what have you. But if I'm working with other people, then I'll just use what they're using. You know, um, I think that coming up with a method to manage this stuff, if you're working in a team is important and you should use the method that, that kind of works well for whatever you're doing, um, and, and for the team you've got. And if you come into that team, then it's, well, you just have to fall into line and, and use what what there is um you know i i'm fairly pragmatic about this stuff um i think as long as what you're doing isn't causing a giant performance problem uh it's not causing an accessibility problem um as long as everyone in your team is able to understand what's going on and that if someone else you know it has to be dropped into the middle of that they can understand what's going on you know you're probably not going to go too far wrong mm-hmm. um, so uh yeah i'm, I'm fairly People always like to know exactly what you recommend, and I I tend to recommend to well solve the problems you've got, mm. um, <laughs> rather than I think probably the biggest thing I would warn against is looking at say what Facebook do and saying oh this this is what we should do because Facebook are a really good company and they you know they they're using it for their stuff so it must be a good idea and you'd be massively over engineering what you're doing for a small site for example. Um, so I think that's probably the thing to look at is, you know, mm-hmm. what's appropriate for the size of project and team that I'm working on um, rather than, you know, read a bunch of articles written by massive companies with teams of hundreds and hundreds of developers um, because they don't actually relate to what most of us are doing. And you're just making work for yourself early.
0: Mm-hmm. So w- when we are developing now using CSS, there's a lot of layout we already talked a little bit about it. There's layout opportunities in the CSS itself. Um, is there still a use case for big frameworks like Bootstrap or Foundation uh, when things like CSS Grid can take over some of that uh, layouting responsibility?
1: Yeah, I, so I so I think that these things solve two problems. They're not just about the grid. Um, they were very, very useful in terms of their grid mm-hmm. when we didn't have good ways to do layout in CSS. So they would manage the sort of float-based and then a Flexbox-based grid. Um, You can use these things without using their grid framework to start with. And I think they solve another problem because what they do is they give your team consistency. They give you a pattern library, essentially, essentially, without you having to write one. Mm -hmm. Now, that can be quite useful. (laughs) You know, if you you haven't got, you know, a big design team helping you with this stuff, um, if you haven't got, you know, the resources to come up with your own framework, uh, then maybe sort of inheriting somebody else's isn't necessarily a bad idea and so I think that in a lot of cases these can be very useful they're certainly not terrible you know these, these fra- the big frameworks do a lot of work in terms of accessibility and in you know in trying to make make good decisions yes your website will look a bit like everybody else's Um But to be honest, it's probably better to use something like Bootstrap and have something that is consistent and well thought through than to end up with a hodgepodge of of stuff because you haven't had time to sort of do that work yourself. Um, So, yeah, again, you know, I'm fairly practical about this stuff. And if that lets you get your product launched, um, then cool. You know, you can always go back later and, you know, redevelop with your own thing once you know that your product's making money and, <laughs> and it's really worth doing that, you know? So again, it, it, it's looking at the situation you're in. Um, I think if you can afford to spend the time creating your own stuff, then obviously you're going to end up with a much more performant, you know, and customised, um, you know, framework for your own situation. You're not going to inherit a whole load of stuff uh, that's just suit mm-hmm. to everybody. Um, but I don't think it's a bad thing to start with these things.
0: Do you have any rules of thumb for writing good CSS? Um, I know that good is
1: subjective, but uh... generally, to use as little as I as I need. I think it's it's very easy to start over-engineering stuff and start thinking, oh well, you know, this component might need to be used in all these other different kinds of ways. And well, fine, if it does, you can go back and edit it. You know, <laughs> um, it's very easy mm-hmm. to get yourself down into a sort of big thing of of trying to. Yeah, we're just trying to over over engineer what you're doing. So I try and be as simple as possible with most things.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I have one question about the the I have one question about the browser engines because um, Edge just moved away from using an mm-hmm. internal rendering engine to using Chromium, um, and I'm wondering what effect that will have on the web platform as a whole. Yeah, uh, do you have any insights on that, or worries, or you don't think it's a problem? Um,
1: I think a bit of everything. Really, I, I am worried about it because I think that we you know, losing independent rendering engines is a problem, um, and and not just for the fact that, oh, you know, that then we've really just got you know got Chromium and and um, and then Firefox, um, but also just that rendering engines are where experiments can happen. You know, g- we got Grid because. Uh, the Internet Explorer team implemented it initially in IE10. So the first implementation of Grid mm-hmm. was done by the Microsoft team. Um, and, and we see that with, you know, all browsers are trying out different things. Firefox has done the first implementation of Subgrid. Um, you know, so it's, it's like, if we lose rendering engines, we lose one place where that stuff can happen. Um, that said, uh, Microsoft have kept all of their developers as far as their engineers are still working on stuff. And now they're doing projects um, in conjunction with the Chrome team, so they have recently shipped um, some better defaults for form controls, for example, and that's been a joint project between Microsoft engineers and Google engineers. Um, there's been a bunch of accessibility stuff that that Microsoft have been working on. So it could be a good thing in some ways because it's rather than having to continue to work on this rendering engine, those engineers are now freed up to say, right you know, we think this, this thing should go into Chromium, we'll work on it. Um, and that, that's another group of engineers working on Chromium, which is obviously incredibly important mm-hmm. for the platform at this point, because so many browsers are based on it. Um, so that could be a good thing. Um, but yeah, I I am slightly nervous about <laughs> about the, the overall mm-hmm. impact and the long-term impact. But the kind of short-term impact seems to be positive. And I know there are, really good people at Microsoft who are very, very keen to be supporting standards and, and doing really good work. So I know that the the sort of thinking behind it is solid and good and, but how that plays out, how that is playing out in five years time, you know, I, I don't know, we'll see. Yeah, it, it worries me a little bit because I fear that
0: if if Chrome can move so much faster than say Safari or Firefox, um, they'll be starting to implement features and Firefox and Safari will only have the time to play catch up um, and won't be able to have the time or the resources to implement new uh, features or Chrome will already have implemented features that only Chrome can mm-hmm. use and so developers decide oh we'll only support Chrome because everyone uses
1: Chrome yeah anyway. I, th- I think I mean it, it is it is a worry and it's a worry you know in terms of this the sort of stuff I work on. Um, I mean, although you know, we are seeing at the moment that that Firefox have actually implemented an awful lot of, particularly in terms of CSS, an awful lot of stuff that Chrome mm-hmm. haven't yet. And so, you know, that they're they're certainly sort of keeping their keeping it up with 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 things and actually doing doing more in some areas. But yes, I mean, I, I think it's something definitely that I would want people to keep an eye on. Um, as I say, it is worth remembering there are other people involved with in the platform, you know, the, the the print side of things, you know, that those are user agents and rendering engines that do render. They're not web rendering engines, but they are rendering CSS and so on. So there are other places that are involved in the platform that aren't just the browser engines that we tend to talk about. Um, so, yeah, we, we'll see what happens there. Um, but I think there's a lot of people both in and out of, of Google who are concerned about this. I think, it, you know, it's, it's not just something that that people who aren't involved with Google are worried about. I think, you know, that generally people who work on the web do care quite a lot about the platform and it being good and it, it, it surviving going forward. So you know, there are a lot of good people thinking about this and caring about it.
0: Very good. Um, so I just have one more question uh, before we can wrap up and that that's uh, concerning accessibility. Um, mm-hmm. How can we ensure that our site is accessible or usable for a maximum number of users? Um, I don't know if you have any resources or tips for doing that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in, in sort of in terms of layout. I mean, layout's kind of my big thing. So I'll, I'll mention a, a tool that I think is is really useful. And um, there's there's a tool called Accessibility Insights, and the um, URL for that is accessibilityinsights.io. Um, it this came from um, the Microsoft team. Um, it's basically a sort of accessibility checker for your site. You can um, add it to Chrome. Um, but one of the really neat things that it has is um, this sort of tab stop checker. So basically it checks that you haven't messed up the the keyboard navigation order of your site. Um, this matters a lot because with things like Grid and Flexbox, it's very easy to essentially make the source order of your site, which is what things that tab through the document uh, and anyone having the document read out, say by a screen reader, they follow the source. If you've kind of jumbled things up by using grid layout or by changing the order of things in Flexbox, um, you could actually make this really weird experience where if you're tabbing around, you're kind of jumping all over the place Mm -hmm. rather than tabbing logically through the document. Um, So that's one of the things that's in the Accessibility Insights tool is this quick check that shows you the order that someone will navigate through your document. Mm -hmm. So you can prevent those sorts of things happening um, because all these nice new things you've got in CSS do come with them, the potential of causing accessibility problems. Um, and so I think that sort of keeping aware of that, keeping mindful of it as, you, as you're developing is really important.
0: Um, well, that's all the questions that I had for you. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: Um, really, I mean, just just to, to sort of keep in touch with what we're doing at the CSS Working Group and so on. Um, it's, it's a much more open process than I think a lot of people uh are aware um and generally we're we're very very happy to be to be getting feedback from developers and so the more of that we get you know the better we can make the platform for everyone um and so i'm very keen to encourage people to sort of you know check out what's happening with the process and and uh, keep in touch and, and talk to us is there anywhere
0: where people can follow you online and all the work that you're doing
1: yeah I'm I'm on Twitter um at Rachel Andrew and most of the places on the web I'm, I'm usually Rachel Andrew um my personal website is rachelandrew.co.uk um yeah so from those places I, I try and post all the stuff that I've been writing and so on at some point to to rachelandrew.co.uk so people can find it all in one place um so that's quite a good place to to see what I've been been writing about
0: Well thank you very very much for your time um We'll definitely link to all of those things in the show notes um so thank you rachel okay thank you it's, it's been great to chat to you yeah it's been great chatting with you too uh, and to all our listeners until next time